You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 11, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Of course, I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best dog on co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Your Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I'm setting my fantasy lineups, Mike. Hang on. We're recording this on <laughs> Thursday night. I'm really, really bad at fantasy football, and here's why. Everybody assumes that I'm good at fantasy football. I call my buddies. It's like, you do football, so you must be good at it. And I have to be like, no. Right. Uh, I do a lot of like, different things than that. Um, but also, I need to finick with things. Like, I, I, If I don't change my lineup, I feel like I'd rather change my lineup and be wrong than not change it and be right. You know what I mean? Like, I get so in my head. So I'm pretty sure I went like, Oh and four across my first four my my four leagues on week one. Solid. And so now I'm going to change everything super reactively, <laughs> so I can go zero and eight across uh, four more leagues and lose a ton of money that I didn't even want to pay anyway because I didn't want to do these leagues in the first place. People just guilt me into them. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm doing well. How are you? I bailed out of all my regular fantasy leagues like a week before because I was done with it. I just I I can't do it. But then I started doing daily fantasy last year. Like you, I like to tinker. So I'll get this whole spreadsheet set up of of tiers of running backs and wide receivers and tight ends that I like. And I like, oh, and I can, in the beginning, I go, okay, three lineups. I'm going to make three really good lineups. And I end with like 17 lineups. It's absurd because, you know, I got to get that Adam Humphreys punt in there so I can get Michael. You know, it's just, it's bad. It's so bad. And I need to stop doing it because it makes me hate football on Sunday because I feel really good when I set the lineups. And then it's right. nothing but shame on Sundays. The more I get into fantasy, the further I conflate just regular analysis. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you could have asked Ben from the years of, like, 2013 to 2016 if Jarvis Landry was a top 10 receiver in the league. I've been like, yes, absolutely. Because every <laughs> year I would draft Jarvis Landry PPR leagues and just feast on his nine points a game without breaking a sweat. The most consistent <laughs> player in the world when he was with Miami. So I was like, Jarvis Landry must be good. And then I started getting into deeper analysis. I was like, oh, wait a minute. What if he's not? And so, like, <laughs> I, 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 the, I can't 
even fathom getting into like daily fantasy stuff and like having different constructions for what is valuable in fantasy. It's too much for me. I can't handle it. Yeah. Completely understand. So I'm I'm keeping it daily fantasy free because I'm I can't watch anything. We're gonna be at the the game in Tampa Bay here. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles week two action one and oh versus one and oh probably the biggest game of the year no but look we're going to be covering the Eagles defense against the Bucks offense the last show that we did that we recorded earlier today and dropped at noon we were previewing the Bucks defense against the Eagles offense so go back and listen to that and put them together and you've got yourself a nice little preview goulash going on there. You'll get the full picture. But we like to go in depth, so sometimes these ta- these shows take a little bit longer to prepare for, so we try to split them up so we make sure that we give you the best content possible. Ben, before we get started on the on the previews and the matchups and everything like that, I see a lot of chatter right now about the heat in Florida playing a factor. And trust me, as somebody that lives in Tampa, it is an absolute killer. I'm talking Traitor. sweating. Just walk into your car. Look, I'm going to be in Philly soon enough, so don't you start mouthing off. Yeah, I'm going to be close to you for the rest of your life, Ben. That was the least comfortable I'm going to be close to you I've ever heard in my entire life. Until I'm there, and it's going to be a lot less comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. But yeah, man, like, go to your car, you're sweating, then you try to get the AC cranked up for like five minutes until it's like at an acceptable level. I get I get the whole heat thing. And I was at the Eagles-Bucks game back in 2006 where McNabb threw up in Florida again. And that was in October, by the way, and it was super hot. So pro, I, went, I went back and looked at that game. Pro Football Resource has the weather listed for that game at 88 degrees with relative humidity of 74%. And let me tell you. Tell me. It had to have been much hotter than that. I could not drink a beer without sweating out the entire thing before I finished. I could not get a good buzz on. It was very depressing. Is that your nightmare? Yeah. It's like when you like have fitful sleep at night, is it because it's too hot to drink beer? I'm remembering that game. I'm remembering sweating and I'm remembering watching McNabb throw up and I remember Westbrook getting the touchdown on, I think it was a screen pass. And then I remember them kicking with Matt Bryant for over 60 yards because Bruce Gradkowski didn't have the arm to get it to the end zone. So they brought in yes. Bryant, and he was just known right. as an AFL kicker at that point with the Arena League. No one knew who he was. He was just recently right. picked up, and he bombs it. And he bombs, was like, what if screw you guys that had a 62-yarder? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a crazy experience. Look at us Sean McVeighing over here. With that established, uh, the Sunday forecast says a high of 91 degrees, a low of 79, and a 30 to 40% chance of rain. As a fan and as a player, you are praying for cloud cover. But on the plus side, if we're talking about defensive lines wearing out, as I'm hearing in the comments section, the Bucks defensive line, as we noted in the last show when we previewed the Bucks defense, they wore out in the fourth quarter against the Saints. And keep in mind, that was in a dome. Controlled temperature, all that. The Eagles have depth along their line to beat the Heat. The Bucks just flat out don't. So I feel like if there's an advantage when it comes to dealing with the weather and keeping guys fresh, it's, it's advantage Eagles. And like you pointed out before the show, Ben, it's been hot other places before. Week two of the NFL season, there's going to be conditioning issues. You're in Tampa. It's hot. That's obviously going to play a factor. You know, the, the Eagles have a full conditioning and training coach and coaching staff that's kind of, uh, you know, aware of this. And they're, I'm assuming, going to do their best to be prepared for it. Obviously, you know, if we get one or two players that are affected by it, well, like, you know, that, that's going to be a, an issue. But I, I, this isn't like the first time that a Northeast team has gone to play in hot weather in, you know, the early weeks of the season. I feel like it's something that that 
people who've been in the league for a long time should be able to know how to deal with it and should be able to adjust to it accordingly. I agree. So that is our bit on the weather. Do not worry about it. I'll have to worry about it because I'm going to be there. I'm probably going to be throwing up because I'm going to be trying to get drunk. It's not going to work. It's not going to sweat. It's whatever. Let's get to this preview, Ben. Buccaneers offense against the Eagles defense. We got to start with quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick from Harvard. If you haven't heard, as I've noted before on him, he is on pace for 6,600 yards and 64 touchdowns. Now, last week he was only pressured 17% of his dropbacks. He got the ball out in a lightning fast fashion. We're talking 2.30 seconds average time to throw. That's incredibly quick. That said, the difference between the Eagles pass rush and the Saints pass rush can't be understated. And this Bucks line featuring a banged up Donovan Smith, who isn't very good anyway. DeMar Doxson, who I actually think is solid in pass pro, just has like major flaws in the run game. You also have Ali Marpet, who I think is good in both areas. Strong player. Guard Caleb Benonik. Benonik? And then his backup Evan Smith. Beninock is dealing with a knock right now, and he is on the injury report. Nailed it. I'm going to hang up. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a fan of his game either way, so that guard spot is a problem no matter who plays. And Ryan Jensen, who was up and down and uh, performed poorly in the Saints game, in my viewing. So you have two to three questionable at best players to exploit in pass pro if you're defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, and you've got all the toys a little boy could want to play with. Fitzpatrick, when throwing 20 yards over the air, was four for five, 179 and three touchdowns with a perfect passer rating. The shots he was taking, and not even just the shots, most of the decisions were pre-snap. We use the term hit and throw, right, where the quarterback hits that third step and the ball comes out. And that pretty much describes what was going on. He was reading press man coverage on one side or the other and then throwing vertical routes at defenders with the back turned with the exception of the two Deshaun Jackson touchdowns. And it wasn't just vertical routes. There was comebacks and, and all of that as well. He was deadly accurate with this, too. I don't want to like make it seem like it's not a big deal. He was throwing them in the bucket and, and with really good placement, yeah. giving, giving his guys a chance to make the play on the ball. And his guys made the plays. It's as, it's as simple as that. So, Ben, in light of all that, do you think that the Eagles try to keep everything in front, maybe conceding the underneath game, and just let that front four go to work? And before you answer, uh, I'm salivating over the chance for Fletcher Cox to get that slide protection with Jordan Hicks or Nigel Bradham, because he's back, with a free run on Peyton Barber or Jaquiz Rogers in pass pro. I'm like dying to see. Listen, listen, like. Barber and Jaquiz weren't even that bad in pass protection against the Saints. They were good, but they're so tiny, bro. <laughs> they're small little people. I, I'll, I'll put it to this way. Donovan Smith is not a great football player. Bad. DeMar Dotson is better, but is also not a great football player. Ryan Jensen looked good a little bit in Baltimore. First game against uh, New Orleans was not good. Ali Marpet, I, I'll give Ali Marpet. I like Ali Marpet in a big way. Yeah. Caleb Beninoff is a bad football so player, bad. man. The, the fact that the Saints were not able to generate pressure on those snaps on which Fitzpatrick was in the pocket for longer. Like, they got some, you know, pressure. Sheldon Rankins had a couple of good plays. Obviously, Cameron Jordan is a guy who was, you know, pushing the pocket, was attacking and everything like that. But they were not able to generate uh, a consistent displacement rush on those reps that Fitzpatrick was sitting in the pocket. It was just the Achilles heel. It debilitated their defense. You know what I mean? Like uh, Todd Monk, an offensive coordinator, who we got to talk about Todd, and Ryan Fitzpatrick came out with a a wonderful game plan, executed it very nicely. Uh, That ball was coming out of Fitzpatrick's hands so quickly. And and when we talk about those 20-plus yard passes, uh, like 
you think to yourself, oh, he was in the pocket for a while. No, no, no. He was in the pocket for a very short period of time. That ball was out very quickly. How's he getting so far down the field? Fitzpatrick, as a veteran quarterback who's been in the league for 10, 12 plus years, knew at the snap when he had deep ball shots. And it's very, very clear to me that the biggest ideological change from Dirk Cutter calling the play calls back in 2016, 2017, to now Todd Monk and calling the plays in 2018, it's that, okay, we got Mike Evans, we got Deshaun Jackson, we got Chris Godwin, we got O.J. Howard. Guess what? Mm. We're going with the football. We are going down the <laughs> field, which yeah. is the correct freaking way to use your personnel, <laughs> by the way, at Dirk Cutter. So that, that's got to be a huge breath of fresh air uh, to Buccaneers fans watching Monk and call an offense that better fits their personnel. But still, that ball's coming out quick on those 20-plus yard throws. But when you get yourself into plus situations, uh, when you're able to play zone styles of coverages and you force the quarterback to sit back there and to process and to wait for routes and concepts to develop, you need to be able to get pressure with four when an offense is clicking like that. You need Mm. to be able to get it quickly. New Orleans Saints couldn't do it. This is what we wondered about the Saints coming into the season. Did they have the pass rush? And if they can't find it, the Saints will be pretenders and not contenders for the entire NFC because the best teams with the best offensive lines, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, aren't, 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 they're not going to be hassled by, by this, yeah. this front four here. If you can't get that pressure, that offense is going to be able to slice and dice you. That's the offense that, that Monk is able to call that Fitzpatrick can put out on the field. Fitzpatrick is elusive in his own right. He he has a quick trigger, and he's able to throw on the move. He's got the tools to help combat your pressure. It's not like, you know, an Eli Manning-level Achilles heel, but the the easy number one priority off of that Tampa Bay-New Orleans tape for the Eagles defense is when the ball stays in the pocket for a long time, you need to get home. It's imperative. And look, one last point coming into uh, this thing about the pass pro. Pro Football Focus has the Eagles offensive line as the biggest advantage in pass pro for week two. And the biggest disadvantage is for the Bucks in pass pro in week two. And I got to tell you, Ben, I, do yes. not, I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. And what's going to happen is because the Saints were playing so much press man and the Eagles do not do that. I mean, we, we know it. We have a conversation every year when we play the freaking Giants about how we need to play more press man because they do so many slants. They, they really don't do it. So they're going to be off. It's going to take a little more time for Fitzpatrick to process that. And when it took longer for him to process things and off-zone coverage in that game, he was good at extending the play, but he wasn't good at going bang, 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 there it is. So those shots, those deep shots that he was just taking right at the snap, he knew pre-snap he was going to go there. A lot of those things are not going to just not going to be there by design by the way that the Eagles scheme things up so that's why I'm not too worried about Fitzpatrick and that's why I think he's going to struggle in this game because and it's and it's you know that's not a hot take to say that Fitzpatrick is going to struggle at any point in his career here's my thing press man exciting I love press man press man gets me pumped it's my favorite coverage Ronald Darby against Mike Evans is probably a wash if it's not a wash it's Evans with the advantage uh Jalen Mills against Chris Godwin slash Deshaun Jackson is easy edge to Godwin or Jackson, regardless of who it is. Chris Godwin slash uh, Deshaun Jackson in the slot against Sidney Jones is an easy edge again to Chris Godwin and Deshaun Jackson. O.J. Howard in the slot, Jiminy Christmas. All right, O.J. Howard is like Sidney Jones times 1.5 in terms of size. (laughs) He's going to eat Sidney Jones up with size. There's There's a play against the Saints where O.J. runs a little corner route and the, the linebacker on him in man coverage has it played perfectly, has it leveraged yep. perfectly. And before the ball arrives, like before it's OPI time, 
Howard just kind of looks at him like, you small little man, and just yeah. shoves him and just <laughs> totally out leverages him. I mean, just like big boy Rob Gronkowski bullies the living daylights out of him, right? And, and that's going to be something that he can do to Malcolm Jenkins, as great of a coverage man Jenkins is, and Sidney Jones, Ryan McLeod, Corey Graham, whoever you want. Bradham and Hicks, it's more of a conversation, but Howard can probably outrun him, right? So if you're talking about pure man cover one, which the Eagles do run occasionally, but it's not the primary coverage, as much as I'd like to see them incorporate that more in their yearly deployment, right? I want cover three. I yeah. want the same cover three we saw against Atlanta, who's also a team that likes to get the ball out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I want this, and, and you asked me about in the original question, uh, do they play a little bit further back to try to protect the deep and to keep things in front of them? Yes, in the sense that uh, that's a result of their line getting pressure, not necessarily the initial coverage. To mm-hmm. me, you want, yeah, to be playing your deep third, let, let you know, let the short game play, uh, make, come up and make tackles, you know, try to get ahead of the sticks with a good first down stop and then, you know, adjust your coverage accordingly. But what you want from a Jim Schwartz defense always, but especially against these Buccaneers, generate enough pressure to force that offense to not take the ball deep as much, which will allow your corners to play up and to play aggressive and to jump routes and to attack. That's what you saw against Atlanta. That's what you'd love to see again. Tampa will probably be willing to take more one-on-one shots because Sarkeesian is still drunk, but that's still <laughs> kind of the uh, the paradigm you want on the defensive side, at least if, if I'm coordinating. Yeah, and you talk about this team schematically with the Bucks, and you brought up O.J. Howard, so I'm going to tie this all together. So I went back and I charted the Bucks offense versus the Saints defense for personnel frequency, and what I found was that the Bucks went from a team that was using 11 personnel, so one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, 54% of the time last year, to a team that did it 70% against the Saints. They went from a team that used 12 personnel, so two tight ends, 31% of the time last year. They only used it 11% of the time. And what mm-hmm. they did was, when they came out in 11 personnel, they put O.J. Howard in the slot a lot, and he ran. Yes, that's why I mentioned him against Sydney. Yep, 62 percent said if you round up 63 percent of his receiving snaps came from the slot so that's definitely an issue as far as who you're going to put on him are you going to put jenkins on him or are you going to put sydney on him and sydney's probably going to be on the other slot man maybe it's by side i it'll be you'll know right away what the eagles want to do when oj howard comes out in the slot and it's weird too because there's cameron Brait there too but Brait was a bit of a ghost in week one and he's a solid red zone receiver and i'm curious to see how long that holds because he's been steady 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 for him and oj howard looks like he might be coming into his own this year and stealing snaps from him. he had a couple of big right. catches again against press coverage he made the plays and made fitzgerald look good listen so bray is a big uh a possession style guy obviously yeah. he, he's a good athlete he's good in the red zone but that's more his speed in 2017 howard saw about 55 percent of the snaps and right. then uh, Cameron Brait saw about 53% of the snaps. Right. They're pretty much even. Just off the one-game sample size of 2018 now, Brait's down to 35, and OJ's up to 65. And again, it's going to keep coming back to this. So let's let's just talk about him now. Monken comes in as, as, as offensive coordinator, not really calling plays, slash wide receivers coach in 2016. He becomes the offensive coordinator in 2018. He gains more power in that team, in that offense. And he's probably far less tethered to Cameron Brait 
yeah. a, a low draft capital player that I think was selected before he even got there. I'm pretty sure he was before the 2016 season. And he's far more invested in terms of just in the player himself, in O.J. Howard, who he probably was a big part of drafting in the first round because he was the receivers coach back <laughs> in that 2017 draft. So it makes more sense you're going to see Howard on top of the downfield mentality, which I think fits O.J. Howard's skill set a lot more. And when they used Howard in 2017, because I was really big on O.J., so I watched a lot of his rookie season. Yeah, me When too. they used him, it was down the field. That's how they wanted to get him involved with that big little play-action throwback off the zone that they like to use <laughs> with little ghost screens, which is what they used in Alabama. A lot of deep stuff, a lot of misdirection. So, Todd Monken, where did this guy come from? Because God Are bless you- him, because... Using O.J. Howard in the slot like that, finally, when Alabama do it, did, didn't do it, when Tampa Bay didn't do it last year, that's exciting. That's that's just, that's just crazy smart. And as far as where he came from, I talked with Trevor Sikama, and he went through like his whole backstory uh, no, for the Kiss yeah. Sikama show, episode 10. <laughs> Stop calling it that. Listen, I – no, I do, dude, dude, I went – I said, I'm watching this tape. I said, what is his background? How yeah. is he throwing every passing concept imaginable on the field right now? <laughs> <laughs> right? How how is he the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when my man ran read option yeah at the, at, goal, at the line goal line with his 35-year-old backup quarterback. How yeah. bananas are you, right? Yeah. That's Doug Peterson level nonsense of like I don't give two flying hoots. Here we go. Like that flies in the face of every like cautious NFL offensive coordinator ideology. Like I'm going to take my backup who's yeah. old as heck and Fitzpatrick's mobile, but it's not what he's known for. And I'm going to run read option, right? The college calling card, the college offense on the goal line against New Orleans. I've been passing the ball and I have the best fade route, you know, second best fade route receiver in the NFL in Mike Evans. And I'm just going to run read option. That's <laughs> like, it's, it, it's so fresh and it's so new. And immediately I go and I see that he was with Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State for like three seasons. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is where this is from. <laughs> Gundy, who crafts one of the best most interesting uh, and and kind of goal-oriented offenses that you're going to find in college football. Monken simply had a, an answer for everything in the sense that his stressors on the New Orleans defense were sequenced. All right, I'm sending fade routes. I'm sending guys up the sideline. Well, all of a sudden, I'm going to throw a crosser across the middle of the field. I'm going to sucker those safeties in. I'm going to hit them up the seam. That was yeah. the first touchdown. Uh, the, the the second touchdown to Deshaun Jackson. Oh, they stopped playing single high. They're in quarter coverage. I'm going to give another crosser right in front of that free safety. I'm going to run Mills right on top of him, hit the post to Deshaun Jackson. Nobody can cover it. I mean, this every time he got to the 40, Monka was like, all right, where's my next freaking shot play? Here we go. I came to mess around. I loved watching him coordinate that game. It was just wild, and it was fun. And we could see a game that we look back on in terms of just offensive ingenuity and mm-hmm. really come to appreciate later in the season. If Monken comes with chops, like if, if, if this is not a flash in the pan, like if he can handle a Jim Schwartz defense and a much better in-game adjustment, whatever, better pressure, all that stuff, if he can adjust accordingly – I love, like, Monk, the way Monken calls an offense reminds me of the way Peterson calls an offense. There, I said it. Yeah. Like, it's reminiscent in terms of just bravado and willingness to try, right? And, <laughs> and, and it's it's so much fun. How do you have this guy in the room last And he year? wasn't calling plays! Sorry. Blows my mind. And that, to me, again, with, with, with Dirk Cutter, I can't take this guy. You know, I was very critical of him in the offseason. You have this guy in the room. You're drawing stuff up, and, and this guy's going – this guy Malkin's going, coming to you with some brilliant stuff going, hey, 
let's put OJ in the slot over here and we can yeah. get Deshaun Jackson this way and we can move him around the slot. We got Mike Evans here. Let's let's run these guys deep. Chris Godwin's really good in the air. Let's give them some shots in the air. And he's like, no, I want to come out in 12. Let's play smash mouth football. We're going to win by will points. I would put $100 at one point. Monk and ask Cutter. He's like, do you know how fast Deshaun Jackson is? Like, did anybody <laughs> tell you? Like, I know you like, you like, you brought him as a free agent, but were you aware of who he was when you did so, right? Yeah. And like, I, I'll put it to you this way. I think Monken drafted, like, was a big part of drafting OJ Howard and Chris Godwin in the same draft, two big time receivers, because Monken knew he was like, listen, <laughs> first I get the players, and then I got to convince somebody, you know, whether it's general manager Licht or the owner, I don't know who it is, that I can just call the offense for those players. Like, first yeah. I'm going to get me my weapons, and then yeah. I'm going to tell everybody that I'm better for this offense than Cutter is. Obviously, not in like that aggressive a way, but still, this receiving court is built for that Oklahoma State spread them out run them up the seams i've got better athletes than you suck on this sort of offense and it's so exciting you know that he wasn't like named officially when he started doing it in the preseason they were like yeah we'll give him some run in the preseason see how he does and it crushed it and now that now he's just now he's just calling plays <laughs> like obviously shout out cutter because giving up play calling is hard and a lot of coaches have have fully killed themselves like fully knocked themselves out by not letting somebody else call plays, and then they get fired, and everybody gets fired. So shout right. out Cutter for at least taking that lump, whether or not it was willing or or a community decision or whatever. Shout out <laughs> Cutter for taking the lump. Shout out all the receivers who probably lost their minds once Monken got the start. Shout out Monken for knowing his backup quarterback and putting out an offense that Fitzpatrick could execute. Shout out Fitzpatrick for executing the offense. Uh, and then shout out Jason Lake for having a really bad offensive line so he can still beat them anyway. Exactly. Just to, to go back to the stuff that we talked about earlier, uh, we're hoping that all that vertical stuff just isn't there for him because of the pass rush. And that won't be Monken's fault, but it's going to be, you know, the offensive line, the roster construction, all of that. Uh, so let's go through some of these individual matchups. I think it's going to be Jenkins on OJ Howard. I think that's going to be the main matchup when he goes to the slot, when he's in line. In line, too, you know, you, you trust Bradham to be able to take care of business. In the slot, I think it's Adam Humphreys and Sidney Jones. I, I think. But Pro Football Focus gave the edge to Humphreys in this, Ben, by like 3%. Can we talk about how ridiculous that is? Humphreys is a good player, and he's the sort of player that I I am not surprised that PFF likes. Obviously, Sydney's data right now for PFF is probably a lot of his, you know, (laughs) rookie, just give the, like, get him out on the field, 2017 reps, it was just like, listen, let him get out there and fail, like, it's fine, you know, these games don't matter. So that doesn't shock me. I'll say Sydney impressed me a lot against Mohamed Sanu. Uh, against yeah. the Falcons, I would anticipate he is similarly successful against uh, Adam Humphreys. However, Humphreys is a fantastic, you know, a, a little scat back route runner. Like it's it's a familiar mold, and it's a good test for Sidney Jones. Obviously, I think I would give the edge to Sidney, but I, I, you know, Humphreys deserves some love. He deserves some respect for he's a good player. He would be a really good wide receiver number four for us right now. We could we could use him with the depth that we have going on with the injuries and everything like that. Like How he's, dare he's good you in that disrespect role. DeAndre Carter in this way? Oh, you know I love DeAndre like, Carter. That's my homie. No, you're 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 100 right. I just you know this is the <laughs> point where I get to be contrarian on you because you're the one who said the hard truth. All right, here <laughs> here's here's one. Uh, we played big nickel, big dime, 55 percent of the time. Right yeah. now that Nigel Bradham is back, do you expect more nickel? than big dime and, no. and big nickel that's that's a, that's a big time question uh and that's 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 a huge question because yeah i mean philadelphia had Corey graham see like 60 percent of the snaps or something it's just wild unforgivable against atlanta <laughs> upset and you really gotta hope that that's not the case because he's a liability when he's on the field 
Yep. Yes, uh, you should see more traditional nickel. There is no reason to take Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham off the field unless there is no running back on the field, right? Like, you know, if you've got a back, you can well, keep those two guys on. Well, they were taking Sydney out. They were taking Sydney out for Corey Graham with the two yes. linebackers, yeah. No, so you noticed them start doing that a lot in the second half. And I'm going to tell you oh, something. You know, like, what, um, you know what? I know what you mean because the big dime too. It's Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. So I would expect to see Hicks and Bradham out on the field at the same time uh, whenever there's a running back out there. And you can be very comfortable in your nickel sets because Hicks and Bradham are two of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Now, you said you expect Malcolm on OJ in long and downs. And some linebackers. In, and in some long, linebackers. And, yeah, I would expect to see Malcolm there in long downs. But listen, we're talking about a six-foot – Oh, we're talking about a six-inch difference in height if Malcolm Jenkins is on O.J. Howard. O.J. is 6'6", 240, and like a true 6'6", 240. Man is absolutely shredded. And I don't know how heavy Jenkins is, but I do not think that he is. I mean, he's got to be 30, 30 pounds, 35 pounds difference. What is he, two, yeah. 220, 225? Like, he can't I'm be about more to say, than that. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Like, he's probably around 220, and so it's definitely like a 20, 25-pound difference. Meanwhile, Bradham is giving you 6'2", 240. I like that physicality, uh, that physical profile a lot more on on O.J. Howard, more so on short downs and when Philadelphia can get to play their zones. You let Bradham be obviously the strong side backer. That's what his typical alignment is. Play over the tight end and be physical with Howard in the contact window. We talk about these spot throws that Fitzpatrick's making down the field. If you can disrupt those in the press, which we've talked about whether or not you want to see it and how much you want to see it, if you can disrupt those routes in the press, that ball falls you know, nowhere near the receiver. That's going to be trickier for Darby and Mills to pull off against Jackson, Godwin, and Evans. We don't profile nicely to that, but that is something you can get Bradham on Howard. Even when Howard's split out, Bradham can hit a guy, right? Bradham mm-hmm. is a very powerful coverage man. So I would, I, w- I definitely want to see Bradham on Howard when it's expected that he can affect him within the contact window, which would be more so on the short downs. And quick update on Deshaun Jackson. He was a limited participant in practice. That does not mean that he has cleared concussion protocol. That just means that's part of the uh, concussion protocol doing non-contact stuff at practice. So that's part of it. We'll Mm -hmm. see if he's active on Sunday. I believe it's going to be, I believe the way that the alignments go is that Ronald Darby is going to get some of him of Chris Godwin. So for me, Darby's a win at every point in the route until they get up into the air, and that's where Godwin thrives. And Godwin was never a big separator anyway. I mean, he's got the physical profile for it, the athletic profile for it, but Darby's going to stick right with him because Darby's a fantastic athlete at this point. In the air, Godwin versus Darby, I don't know, man. Like, you feel you feel like Darby might win the rep, and it's going to clank off his hands, and Godwin's just going to be like, yoink. Oh, no. Uh, Godwin, Darby is like a decent to good catch point defender. He's not yeah. great at picks, obviously. We know that, but still, he's good affecting the catch point. Uh, Chris Godwin is a really freaking good catch point player. Listen, I mean, I think it was Fran Duffy who said it. it was, you know, Godwin, Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Adam Humphreys, OJ Howard, and Cameron Bray. Go pick six other pass catchers that you'd want from another team. You know what I mean? That is the best mm. set of, like, five slash six pass catchers you could ask for in the NFL. You know, that we've known that about Tampa for a while. Now That's why it was so baffling when they couldn't get anything done. Right. So shout out Todd Monken. Uh <laughs> so if you can get pressure, if you can move Fitzpatrick off his spot, if you can hit him, if you can force Aaron throws, you've got yourself a situation. Tampa's not gonna be able to run the ball very successfully. We've known that, you know, they their second round running back, Ronald Jones, can't even make the 
freaking active 46-man roster, which is just awful. They have such bad luck at the running back position. Uh, and I don't think that defense, I think that defense, which gave up 40 points to Tampa Bay, to New Orleans, like, outplayed itself. You know what I mean? Like, a little bit, which, like, sounds ridiculous. This this team on paper, we've always known that that receiving core has been insane. The reality is that the rest of the depth chart, to me, isn't up to snuff to, to hang. Now, they put together a game where the uh, their first game where that the rest of the depth chart hung, clearly. Right, the, the question is, can Philadelphia really attack the weak points on that team? Receivers going to win some. Tampa's going to put up some points. Like that, we'll accept that as a reality. You know, the the more interesting battle to me is what Philadelphia is able to do on the offensive side. Because if Tampa is going to enter another boat race, then you know we can't be struggling with Foles on the offensive side of the ball again. And all I want to see from Jalen Mills is not to bite on a double move. That's a win for me. Right there. I don't care okay. what else happens. We need to stop this madness. With I'm going to comfortably tell you that Jalen Mills is going to play on a double move on Sunday. <laughs> Amazing. You mentioned the run game. Let's talk about the run game real quick. The longest run of the game for the Bucks against the Saints. A 23-yard scamper from Peyton Barber, who is going to get the bulk of the carries for them. Uh, they did a little ISO lead with the fullback. The run fits from the Saints were bad predictably on that play safety Marcus Williams froze himself before he got the angle it was poor defense all around poor linebacker play on the next 12 yard run on the very next play so I just don't see that happening with the Eagles linebacking core the way it is especially with Nigel Bradham back from suspension not to mention but I'll mention it anyway after 15 for 68 yards in the first quarter which included those 23 and 12 yard runs the Bucks only managed 44 yards on 19 carries in the second half and when I charted it they only had one successful run that wasn't a scramble from Fitzpatrick and when I talk about successful I'm referring to success rate and when I mean success rate I'm talking about 45% of the yards needed on first down 60% on second down and then money downs you need to convert they could not run with a lead so if the Eagles find themselves in that situation trailing mm-hmm. which I don't expect I'm not worried about the Bucks salting it away on the ground in that situation, though. Considering 11 of those 44 yards came on one scramble, they could not get anything going with the regular running game. I would argue I'm more worried about Fitzpatrick scrambling than I am about the run game. But even then, that pocket is going to look a whole lot different in this game than it did in the Saints game. Like, you're getting into your pressure from the outside with loopers. There's not going to be room for him to move around. Yes, but also the more voracious your pass rush, the more likely you are to lose contain, which is just something to be aware of. Are you going to be running a spy on Ryan Fitzpatrick? If you're at that point in your life where you're running a spy on Ryan Fitzpatrick, heavily consider what's happened to you uh, to bring you to this point. That's a record scratch. Yep, that's me. Here I am. Somehow I got here running a spy on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I they might mean, have a green dog on a running back that they might want to keep in to help chip and stuff. So there's that. It's true. If they're running three, four-man route concepts, you've got that. Obviously, I think with the way Tampa runs their offense, you prefer to have seven back uh, and not really be worried about that. Philadelphia does run far more zone uh, than New Orleans, less so man. And so when Fitzpatrick breaks, uh, defenders' eyes are in the backfield, which helps you account for that. So we'll see how much that scramble becomes a threat. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, moving around Sheldon Rankins and whoever that scrub next to him was. Well, honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know his uh, name. He was bad, and he still beat Jensen a couple of times. So I was like, dog, yeah. no. Nah, I'm not even looking yeah. that dude up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Rankins is is a starting a caliber three technique. Fletcher yep. Cox is the definition of a three technique, right? Like we are talking about... <laughs> different breeds and, yeah. and and then you throw in the fact that 
Polonianadas looks fine, and, and okay, Destiny Vale, whatever. Uh, Michael Bennett's going to be providing good reps, so on and so forth. The interior is going to be a lot stronger. I fully agree with you there. And then obviously off the edge, Philadelphia has an advantage over almost every team they plays. They play, like you said, the advantage in the trenches on both sides of the ball for Philadelphia is marked, right? It, it, it's very significant. And we should expect Philadelphia to dominate at the line of scrimmage. Uh, both in the running game, in the passing game, on the on the defensive side of the ball, that shouldn't be much of a hassle. Will you? Uh, how many sacks for Derek Barnett? Over under at one, he's going to be up against Donovan Smith. I think this is if if he's going to eat, and I know Fitzpatrick threw the ball real quick, but you know he's also playing zone. Guys are going to be looking at him, so he can't scramble as much. Not playing man press. This is the game that Derek Barnett, in my opinion, needs to get his season kicked off because it wasn't last week. Listen, the only tackles that Barnett has beat, like like quality beat for a sack, have been TJ Clemmings and Byron Bell. So you're talking about you're talking about Donovan Smith right there, brother. All is, day. Okay, is Donovan Smith really as bad as TJ Clemmings and Byron Bell? Are we gonna go that far? Have you seen him move? Have you seen the man move? No, I never have actually. <laughs> That's a great point. Okay. I don't think okay. he has. Yes. Barnett's going to line up nearly offside in that obscenely <laughs> tilted stance that he uses. Uh, and he's going to beat Smith to a landmark. He's going to get a quick sack on Ryan Fitzpatrick. And everyone is going to at me very aggressively. And I'm going to ignore all of the haters. And I'm going to ride my bicycle away. And I'm going to wave at them as I go. Ben is agonizing over this on the other side of the screen and has been for a solid minute now. Uh, No, I mean... <laughs> I would envision like a three to four sack performance on the day for the Eagles defensive line yeah. with a slew of pressures and hurries and hits obviously involved in there as well. But this should be a, a highly productive day after a highly productive day against Atlanta. You know, by all things considered, this is this is a line that, that you know, dog's going to eat. And <laughs> man, it doesn't get much better than against the Tampa Bay offensive line. You know, what's going to be sexy is when they kick in Brandon Graham against these guards. I mean, Fletcher Cox is going to just destroy shop anyway. Yeah. But they're going to have to slide towards him, and they're going to get Brandon Graham on Caleb Beninock, Evan Smith. Yes. Listen, my <laughs> new favorite thing in the world is that so that, that NASCAR front that they run with two three-techs and two nine-techs, and it's yeah. Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett at the threes, yeah. and then Brandon Graham and Chris Long at the nines. Yeah. Chris Long is a stand-up nine. <laughs> Listen. Move like get a little linebacker pepper in there in the a gap just to screw with yeah. people. That is what what I, I was talking with Owen Reese, uh, who's an ex offensive lineman, who was telling me like the biggest advantage of that three tech three tech nine tech nine tech front that NASCAR front is that you're getting almost guaranteed three one on ones. Which I uh, there are very few, if any, offensive lines outside of Philadelphia that have three offensive linemen that can regularly win three one on ones against Philadelphia's three best pass rushers. Yeah. That's how good this defensive line is. And yeah. so that three tech, three tech, nine tech, nine tech, that NASCAR front on third and long, on second and long situations, mm. it, it's a situation of it's not how you beat it. It's how you avoid getting beat by it. You know what I mean? It's not about like this is, oh, we keep in two more blockers and we run freaking three men out against seven defenders. Like that's not right. a solution. It's a question of, all right, I just have to get the ball out as quickly as I can to a hot route and hope I pick up positive yardage. Or you keep in O.J. Howard from being in the slot so much and you put him in line just to make the track longer for the edge rusher on that side. There's different things you can do, but at every every resource that you pour into stopping that pass rush, 
you're taking away from that downfield offense. You're taking away what you can do with route combinations, what Monken can do. So I wanted to make sure that we gave equal time to the defensive line here that we gave Todd Monken so we don't get a bunch of haters saying you spent the whole episode gushing over this dude that put up 48 points and no one had expected it. But regardless of that, this defensive line is going to eat. Let's get to prediction time, Ben. Time to put our money where our mouths are. Mouths where our money are? Mouths money. Put our money where our mouth is. Money where our mouth is. There it is. My wife did not know. Okay. Shout out Mrs. Kist. (laughs) (laughs) Games are one loss in the trenches, right? So we yes. just went off about this Eagles defensive line. We went off about this Eagles offensive line and how the, the defensive line for the Bucks is not going to be a problem for them. Fitzpatrick's not going to get the same pre-snap looks that he thrived with against the Saints. The Bucks defense is a sieve and is going to continue to be a sieve, and they took even more injuries that are going to make them an even bigger sieve. I checked the line. It went from three to three and a half with the Eagles as favorite. So the betters are favoring the Eagles here as far as where the action's going. So I agree with the betting community here. I think we're stressing a game that we shouldn't be. So congrats to the Bucks for dynamic offensive performance in week one. Congrats, Todd Monken, in week one. Way to be, bud. I'm sure you're going to do fine this season. I don't believe any of it carries over into this game. I don't think any of it matters in this game. I think they get routed at home. 27-10 Eagles. What about you, Ben? Isn't it pronounced sieve? That's a sieve. The receive. The receive? What's a sieve? Uh, like, like you're talking about the five? strainer, right? Like water comes through it. Like everything passes through it, right? You know what I mean? S-I-E-V-E. Well, I know what you mean. I just think it's pronounced sieve. I think it's sieve. We have to look this I, up. Okay. Over under on it being sieve. <laughs> it's impossible to put over under on it. Okay. My oh, prediction while Mike looks things up and realizes that he's incorrect. Nick Foles' first start, uh, Michael, or first win as a starter, I believe, was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 23-21 to 21 was the final score of that game. As much as I would love to just pick that score again so, for posterity's sake, oh, I totally just heard Siv over your microphone. So, I heard it one hundred percent. No, no, I'm just exit out of that. No, that was yes, the wrong. Yes, that I was did. the that was the wrong one. <laughs> as much as I would love to pick twenty three twenty one for posterity's sake, uh, I picked over on the forty four, so I've got to clear that number. Uh, as a result, I will take. Philadelphia 26 to 21 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do think this Tampa offense will put up some points. I do expect Philadelphia to put up another ugly score in terms of, you know, field goals and two point conversions. They just, they, you know, they, they drop some odd numbers around there. And this does feel like a game that will go into the fourth quarter. You know, you will have two very aggressive offenses. Like you said, Tampa struggles to burn away the game. So if Philly is still in it late, uh, then, you know, you're going to see a lot of scoring opportunities in the fourth quarter, 26-21. Why would they not say it on this video? I'm trying to look up more videos of the, of the, of the pronunciation. Okay, it's Siv. You can look up as many videos as you want. <laughs> it's Siv. I tried, I tried looking it up in a different language. I tried, like, translating it, and it's, it's not, it's not, the video is not playing for me. Okay. That's definitely Did you cheating. Go- so I was not listening for anything you said. What was the score? Wow, fake. I took 26-21, Eagles. So you went with the over. I'm going with the under. Yeah, so coward. we'll see how this goes. I, Afraid I, I went, to be great. I went. I went with the under last week, and uh, went pretty yes, comfortable. Yes. So did I. And that was a very easy hit. All right, Ben. Would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? You. You. Are you happy now? Now you've got me all disheveled looking up the pronunciation. The pronun- Wow. The pronunciation. Uh I'm all. You're out in of trouble sorts. now, man. It's been a rough pod for you. This, you embarrassed uh, me in front of my wife. The, you disrespected my family and my own house. And Selec show. <laughs> Here on BGN Radio, uh, I am your host as always, Benjamin Selick on Twitter at Benjamin Selick. That's S O L A K. He's been Michael Keist on Twitter at Michael Keist NFL. That's K I S T.
Uh, this was the second of the two-part series on the Eagles-Tampa Bay matchup. From an X's and O's perspective, please listen to yesterday's episode, if you missed it, Eagles offense against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Of course, on BleedingGreenNation.com, you can see our weekly picks for the entire NFL slate. My piece on Ronald Darby, Mike's piece on the goal line, red zone rushing attack of Philadelphia, and of course, a slew of other posts from all of our fine writers there at Bleeding Green Nation on iTunes. BGN Radio is at 412 ratings, Michael, 410 of which are five-star reviews. Still have not yet fixed that bug that only lets you give five-star ratings and reviews. And hey, remember, uh, if you leave a review, and it's funny, I will read on the podcast because they entertain me. We haven't gotten a ton of new funny ones recently, so I'm going to hold on the good ones for now. Wait till we have a big, long segment for that. But leave those five stars rating and reviews. They do help us so, so, so very much here in the beginning of the season. Thank you so much for stopping by. We'll talk to you guys after the game. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Have we really been saying see this entire I feel time? like you've, you've said it on other podcasts, I've said it a lot. too. Yeah, I've said it and a I lot. feel like I was always, I always thought to myself, I don't think that's right, but I have something <laughs> else to talk about right now. Uh, and this time I was like, nah, we're just going to go for it. So... Nothing Nothing is real in the world anymore, now that I know Well, right, that. so it's weird because, right, so it's I before E, except after C. So mm-hmm. I feel like, like, because I, E, V, E, I feel like that's a very irregular construction. Like, we're used to seeing, like, receive and deceive, right? And those are E, I, V, E, but yeah. we see that, that even though the spelling is different, we just assume that sieve is going to remind with those, or is going to rhyme with those, and it yeah. doesn't. And I, I and E are switched, and it's sieve, and you're dumb. It's <laughs> Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.